Welcome to the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, John Teal. And we are your hosts, Parky Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 106. John Teal is the founder of Predictable Designs, a company which helps startups, makers, and small companies develop new electronic products. Previously, John was an award-winning designer, uh, design engineer for Texas Instruments, where he designed numerous successful microchips, which are found inside millions of popular tech products. So, John, Predictable Designs. Yes. So, what 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 do you do there? Well, I mainly focus, like you just said, on uh, helping uh, startups and entrepreneurs. And you know, the the name Predictable is about trying to make the entire product development process as predictable as possible. Um, you can't make it perfectly predictable, but my goal is to make it more predictable. Predictable, so, uh, so, so predicting all the uh, pitfalls with, with uh, creating a new design, right? Yeah, the pitfalls, uh, all the, the cost, you know, it's like, you know, I have people contact me, think you can, you know, develop a new product for a few hundred dollars. So I'm trying to uh, give them realistic expectations on what to expect. And uh, until you know what to expect, you really can't choose the best uh, path forward. So that's sort of where I come in. Do you go in as far as doing like design for manufacturability and stuff like that? Uh, not really. I, I have some in the past. Uh, mainly, I, I kind of uh, focus on sort of the the initial stages. So I um, will sort of help them, you know, understand everything that they have to do to get a product developed and on the market. And then, and in the past, you know, I had done the full des- electronics design. Um, but since you know the past couple of years, I've, I've focused more on doing some of the upfront work and then referring them to other design shops to do the the schematic and layout and such. Oh, so basically, like you know, people come with you with an idea and you lay the groundwork out for the design exactly. parts, that kind of stuff. Exactly. Sort of my signature service is a is a report I call the Predictable Hardware Report, and it basically, you know, I, I estimate the cost to develop the product, the cost to, to scale it to manufacturing, you know, how much injection molds and all that are going to cost, and then I also actually do what I call a pre-design, where I, I select all the critical components for the product and then price those out and get estimates. So I give them uh, an estimated manufacturing cost for the product so they can determine, you know, how much profit they can make from the product. Yeah, and the feasibility and Man, that kind of stuff. You must have yeah. a ton of contacts. Just like an um, absolute, yeah. like, crazy amount of contacts. Yeah, yeah, I, I do get uh, quite a few emails. Uh, I spend a good chunk of my day replying to emails. So. Well, I guess I was meaning, like, if, if you have a product that needs something for electronics and something for plastics and some kind of metal housing or blah, 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 all these, like... To be able to, you know, have all of that in your wheelhouse—that's uh, that's actually really cool. It's incredibly valuable, actually, uh, for for customers to have that kind of like all-in-one-stop shop. Uh, at least w- at l- one person who has that knowledge of where to go. Absolutely, yeah. And there are, you know, there's two kind of ways I go. You know, I've got you know connections, contacts with just freelancers. You know, that you know they can maybe just do the schematic design in the PCB, and then someone else does the 3D modeling. Uh, but then I also, you know, have a couple firms that I work with that sort of do everything under one under one roof. So it depends, you know, if you if you want to hire, you know, one firm to do everything and manage the project, you know, it, it takes the load off the entrepreneur, but it also obviously is going to increase the cost. So if you're trying to save money, then typically it's it's better to to go with individual, you know, freelancers or you know various companies, and then the entrepreneur do the project management. 
Oh, gotcha. Cool. So I guess we'll just jump right into it then. Um, like, what? Because this is this is something that people can just download, so they're not like emailing you. So what are the common questions that you get asked all the time in emails? Um, if you're willing uh, to yeah, give there's... that up for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the uh, the, the report's not free, but the uh, questions, um, you know, I actually blog, you know, a lot of these questions I, I tried, uh, if it's a question I get asked more than once, I, I try to typically write a blog post on it. Um, you know, there, there are a variety of questions, you know, uh, obviously everyone wants to know how much it's going to cost. Um, so that that's kind of probably, you know, one of the biggest questions that I get. And that was sort of what you're talking about their me. design, right? Yeah, the design. Well, how much it's going to cost to develop it. And that's usually about as far as most people will go. They don't realize, you know, if you have a, a prototype of one, there's still a lot more work to make it. So this is can be something manufactured in the thousands or millions. You know, they supply don't... Supply chain and stuff like that. Yeah, supply chain, electrical certifications, uh, you know, injection molds. You know, it's, you know, you don't do 3D printing, obviously, for, you know, production. So... Uh, those types of things are kind of things that a lot of people tend to, you know, not fully understand how much work and cost there is involved. Well, also, even just the path of prototype to pilot to production, there's very different things that have to happen in order for each one of those to be successful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, you know, and it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you, you know, I have people contact me all the time that, you know, I've got a, a prototype you know and I'm, I'm ready for manufacturing and i'm like well it's you know not quite that simple you don't just pass it on to a manufacturer and you know you just start making money it's like there's usually a lot of work that goes involved you know goes into that whether that be you know 3d modeling you know you can you can produce about any type of shape with a you know 3d printer but not true with injection molding and typically there's a lot of modifications to your enclosure you know you have to get draft angles and all the stuff so that you can actually pull the parts out of the mold so that that takes a lot of time to get right and not even just that it's sure you can design anything in 3d space but like actually assembling the final device even if you make it injection moldable like what if you can't put that connector together inside that enclosure yeah, and those are all issues that you you've got to be prepared to you know you're you're going to run into things like that once you actually start production. You know, it's like every time you you ramp something up, typically new problems show up that you're going to have to work through. Yeah, absolutely. It, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of persistence uh, to to go through this entire you know the entire process. It's it's not for the lighthearted. Yeah, so I guess we'll go back to that question. Then is like you know how much will it cost? I know it depends on the product and device and stuff, but let's say we're doing an Arduino IoT thing. Okay. So it does one thing, has one sensor on it, and we're gonna we did a Kickstarter and it was like ten thousand units. <laughs> you, you, you sound like probably a bunch of emails. So I've got this thing. It's just an Arduino <laughs> no. with like one or two chips. How much? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Even, we'll go even further. It's like my Kickstarter was successful. And I already charged this amount of money. How do I make profit? <laughs> right, no, and yeah, I have to yeah. deliver in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you, that sounds exactly like an email I probably received recently. Um, you know, other than the product itself, I would say that the biggest variable is the, the person, the entrepreneur. You know, it's like, first of all, two things. How much money do you have and how much uh, experience do you have? If you have both of those, uh, things are going to go a lot quicker. If you don't have either of them, it's it's going to take a long time, and you're going to have to 
you know, learn a lot or, you know, if you don't have any technical skills or, you know, like I get a lot of people that are clients that are software engineers. So they're technical, but they don't understand hardware. And they don't you know, realize don't that the, uh, the, they don't realize that compile doesn't work in hardware. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you can't just keep spamming the compile button with hardware. It costs a lot of money each time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you want to try to get it right, you know. Obviously, nothing's ever perfect the first time, but you obviously want to try to, to limit the revisions that are necessary. Gotcha. Well, actually, so so here's a question that's sort of along the same lines, but, uh, but one that I'm a bit more curious right now. Um, at what point do you usually get injected into a project, and at what point are you usually kind of retired from a project? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, typically, you know, I get involved once you have a concept that you've kind of nailed down. You, you have, you know, the basic features that you want, you know, the battery life, the product size. So that's where I, I typically, I like to get involved as early as possible before they start, you know, throwing thousands of dollars and not really having any direction. So the, the better I'm involved, you know, I, I think the better. Uh, that is for the the entrepreneur, startup, inventor, whatever you want to call them. Um, as far as when I, you know, I, so my process flows. I, I provide this report, then I give you references for you know someone that can do the the full design and make the prototypes, and then then I also do like a monthly consulting plans so that I can stay on and provide some oversight. Um, like I do design reviews on the schematic and the PCB. Um, and just provide some sort of independent consulting that's not, uh, you know, their primary designer. And then that allows them to, you know, they can feel a little more confident in hiring, you know, a, a lower cost engineer in the Philippines. Uh, as long as, you know, outsourcing is great, but you need to either have the skills to, to judge the quality of the work or have someone else that you trust judge that quality. So, I, you know, I like to stay on it through the full stretch, but, you know, manufacturing is not really my, you know, getting, helping them get manufacturing set up, but not, you know, the, the long-term manufacturing I'm, I'm typically not involved with. Okay, so, so pretty much right up until manufacturing. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, they'll you know, keep me up, you know, for, you know, in the, in the ball game, you know, for some of them will for during that time, but generally I kind of, and not quite as useful once you've got manufacturing up and running. Uh, you, you were talking about, um, you said a little bit about DFM and that explanation. So what, what are some like, so if someone came, what was like the worst like cringe you ever <laughs> had when you saw someone's design when they came to you? Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, first of all, having like, well, you know, at this point, they don't. it's more of a design idea, I guess, but, you know, they think they can, fit you know wi-fi cellular bluetooth zigbee you know a 10 gigahertz processor all in a watch running off a coin cell battery or you know those are the you know so i have to give them a dose of uh, reality i would say some of the mistakes i i see i mean so, by far the most common mistake i see if they give me a design to, to look at is typically to do with uh, how they've laid out the antenna on the pcb that seems to be kind of one of the most calm and then you know they just do a minimum with trace and that's kind of it without any impedance matching or anything like that so that would be i guess if you're you know looking to that that would be the biggest mistake then from a design standpoint that you yeah see? that's that's probably the, the the 
yeah, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see. And then the other is having a, a 3D model that can't ever be injection molded without, you know, 50 side actions and a really complicated mold or, you know, that just can't be ever, you know, actually injection molded. Yeah. Um, back to, I, I completely forgot what the original question was. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're kind of going over the common the common questions. If, okay, here's, no, here's he, actually. Oh no, he mentioned something. It was before the antenna oh the DFM. Thing. You said something about DFM. No, no, it was um the basically people come to him and want to break physics. Uh, well, like you said, do- dose of reality is is yeah. That's a that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But I guess it, I, it does it does happen. Luckily, you know, most of the people that contact me, you know, they've done some you know you know some of them are completely non-technical and have never touched an arduino but others have at least done some upfront development work so you know i i think most of them have some realistic expectations at least on the feasibility of the product um you know not down to the details but you know most of them aren't asking it's very rare do i ever get uh you know, presented a product idea that is just absolutely impossible. Um, it gotcha. happens. Um, it may be impossible to do affordably in a reasonable amount of time, but you know, uh, you know, most things are possible if you have enough money and enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Within reason, <laughs> it's not gonna. You're not gonna break the speed of light or anything like that. But yeah, that was my next question. Is like, you know, <laughs> if someone came with you with an idea to build like the. Uh, um, time machine from Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, I just want to know how much that would cost. Like, yeah. just, can't <laughs> yeah, you just give me that in an email? I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that that's a little outside my expertise. I, yeah. I don't really do time machines anymore, but uh, <laughs> anymore, <laughs> only yeah. at TI, right? Yeah, only at, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, so one of these other questions on on this list was how how long will it take to get my product on the market? And I guess. Uh, a, a little bit of a twist on that because it's, uh, that's kind of a hard question to actually answer. Uh, just maybe from your experience, what what have you seen to be kind of like the average time that a project goes on for? Okay, yeah, um, you know, once again, it, it I think it, the the biggest variable is the person doing it. You know, it's like if you're if you're really good and you have a lot of money, you can make things happen faster than someone that has no money and no experience and no one on their you know team that has any experience with uh, electronics design but you know i think uh, just a general guideline you know i i most of the projects i've seen are six to twelve months to get from idea to a manufacturable prototype and then another six to twelve months to actually get it to where you're you know pumping out thousands of them so one to two years. One year, if every you know, if the stars align for for you, you um, pass you pass your years. FCC and CE on the first try. <laughs> yeah, that no. happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. And uh, yeah. you're not making a time machine. Not making a time machine. Yeah. And three, no part so- shortages probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, works on the you know maybe you know I mean nothing ever works really perfectly the first time but you know at least by the second or third revision well and, and your bank has an enormous line of credit open for you that also helps that that, that does help I mean money always <laughs> makes things easier it doesn't necessarily you know I, I've had people that you know you could tell had the money to spend 
And, you know, a lot of times I think that's a worse position to be in because you're, you're always looking to take shortcuts and solve problems with money and not actually doing the research to, you know, to do the right thing, actually. Well, actually, so that kind of works a little bit into the next question, which is if, if I don't have a ton of money, how do I get my product to the market? Well, you know, basically you have kind of, well, I mean, you, you always have the option of, of getting more money, um, which is, you know, the route that a lot of people try to take. That, that's what that's I just said. It's a, it's a good one. <laughs> Obviously, that's the point, you know, for a lot of people why they're doing a product to make more money. So by its very nature, most, you know, the people that contact me aren't rich. Um, so if you don't have the money, either you're going to have to learn to do a lot of this on your own. Um, so you're going to, it's going to take a long time or, you know, better yet, you can uh, find a co-founder that has the necessary experience. Um, your, your chances are going to be much better if you, if, if you don't have any experience, if you at least have someone on your team and not just, you know, a paid consultant like me, but that actually, you know, has equity in the company, you know, ideally 50, 50 or whatever. Um, so either a co-founder or, you're going you're to have to learn a lot um, or raise outside investment. But, you know, getting investments, you know, I've, I've been through that with my own hardware startup. And it's, you know, that's a, a whole other humongous goal in itself, just trying to raise money. Um, especially if you're pre-prototype, then it, it becomes, you know, kind of impossible, you know, other than, you know, through a Kickstarter campaign or something like that. But even that, you know, you, you don't, you're not going to put your, your project up on Kickstarter and think that people are just going to start giving you money. Um, a lot well, of even, people do um, that. Well, even Kickstarter, you have to have a working, functional prototype of your whatever you're trying to pitch. Yeah, yeah. You should. You really need a. Ideally, you have to have at least for Kickstarter, you have to. But yeah, you, you want to have a, you know, a prototype because otherwise, it's just there's too many unknowns and, you know, everyone has ideas. It's it's. I always tell people the idea isn't what's important, it's the execution. That's where the value's at. Um, so people, before anyone wants to, is gonna give you money, they either wanna see that you've put up a lot of your own money or that you've executed and made some significant progress on it. Or better yet, both of those. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. So like, when you, uh, when you go to a, a manufacturer, if you go to an injection molder, if you go to, Anyone who's going to do some work for you, in in many cases or all cases, it it helps to be prepared before you show up. Especially if it's you know game day at your manufacturer, you show up and you don't have all your stuff together, you're pretty much guaranteed to uh, have an issue there. So that I, I would assume that sort of applies the same way uh, with you. So what can people do to be prepared before they even contact you to have their product such that it goes smoothly with you? Yeah, well, the, the main thing is is to have, um, you know, a, a list of features, at least have the product nailed down to some extent. You know, what features you want, uh, which would be nice to have but not essential, um, and, you know, some realistic expectations that obviously I'm going to help you have those, you know, uh, expectations that are realistic, but, you know, at least come in expecting that this is going to be thousands of dollars and not hundreds of dollars i mean it's it's rare most people don't have the illusion they can get a product on the market for a few hundred but for you know some 
third world countries, I'll have people contact me that you know are wanting to try to do that, and that's just that's just not realistic. All right, cool. I I guess we'll go on to the next question then, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the focus on product development. Well, I just messed up that question. It's not written right. <laughs> I just started reading fault. the question. No, I started reading the question. I'm like, huh? I did not read that before I put it down. Before I hit copy paste. You should. You should have just played it off. Just play it off. Play it off. Play it off. Yeah, nah. Yeah. No one would have known. <laughs> um. So yeah, the um. You know, most people come to you with a focus on product development, but what about the focus on marketing? Yeah, that's um, you know, I'm an engineer, so obviously, you know, uh, I tend to think product development is really important. But m- my experience is everyone, regardless of the you know you're, where you're at, they they put you know there needs to be emphasis on product development. Obviously, you don't have anything to sell until you develop, but but you you can't go in and think, okay, I'm going to spend two years getting this product developed and ready for market and then I'll worry about how I'm going to sell it or who I'm going to sell it to. Um, you know, there's two problems with that is marketing is, it's hard. It, it's not an easy thing to do. I don't care what type of business you're in. Marketing, I, I think, is probably one of the most um, important things, important steps to success. Um, but secondly, I, I like to encourage people to get marketing involved from an early stage so you can make sure you're actually developing a product that people want um if if you're living in a cave and you have this great idea and you're keeping it super secret and you never share it with anyone and then you go off and spend all this money most likely you're going to develop a product that only you want um so i I encourage people to try to develop a community early on around in their industry around their product idea you know, whether that be an email list or, or whatever, in a Facebook group and such, and, and begin getting feedback as early as possible. And yeah. don't don't be super secretive with your, your idea because you, you won't get anywhere that way. Yeah, the, um, what is it, the saying is, you build it, they will come, but only if people, like, really want it. So. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And if they, it's more if, only if they can find it. That's the problem. <laughs> No one's going to know you you exist or that your product is even out there if you've not done significant marketing. Hmm. So what's what's what would you suggest for people to do? I know that's well, not your wheelhouse, you know, but yeah, it's it's not. But I've kind of been through that, you know, because obviously I have my own business now, and part of that is marketing. Um, I'm actually, you know, an engineer that I I enjoy the marketing side of things to some extent, um, but. Uh, now I lost track of what I was going to say. What was the question again? Well, actually, we can talk about, like, you know, you said you had a hardware startup. And so how did you do the marketing for that startup? Um, you know, I probably didn't do it correctly. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 I learned a lot. You know, I did the traditional stuff. I did trade shows. Um, you know, I would just call, you know, you know, retailers, you know, and get meetings with, you know, whether – Home Depot or Walmart. So, and I would do trade shows and had a website and all that. But generally, I, I think the best way to do marketing is to, you know, to set up, a, have a web page and begin from the moment that you think you want to take this product to market, uh, collecting people's email addresses that may be interested in that topic, and then just keep engaged with them during the entire development process so that you get their feedback 
um, you develop a product people actually want. And then when, once you have it ready to sell or you're ready to start a Kickstarter campaign, then you have a community that you can drive you know, to either purchase the product or to help you fund it. Yeah, you got to build that hype train. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all about, you know, it's all about building, you know, Momentum. typically an online community, but in, any type of, you know, you, you just, you need to have a community built up to actually help you develop the product, the right product. <laughs> Steve is just looking at me. <laughs> I, th- I thought you had a train going on here. No, 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 no. <laughs> the hype train was done. Then. Oh, but yeah, the hype, okay, that was it for the hype train. <laughs> You looked deep in thought. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, nah, I was I was reading uh, some of these questions. So, would you like to read some of them out loud? I actually yeah. kind of want to talk about SpaceX. No one can hear inside your head. <laughs> 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 we're, we're, before you showed up, Stephen, we were talking about uh, the SpaceX launch. Y- you know, it's one of those things where I didn't even know it was happening today, and then I looked on Facebook, and like every other post was like something about a rocket going to space. So I was like, oh, it's like we've never done this before. Whoa, the rocket, huh? <laughs> no, no, there was something. There was something special about it, right? It was like it was the heavy. It had a big payload or something like that. Is that what it is? Yeah, it was the. Uh, they've launched the Falcon Heavy, which is. And I don't think it's. They they keep saying it's the most powerful rocket, but I don't think it is. Do you know, John? I I don't know. Maybe the combination of all three. You know, three rockets. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. So they say it's the most powerful rocket, uh, launch ever. So and they launched a car in a space awesome yeah okay well back to our guest because <laughs> our guest is not spacex <laughs> sorry we we both have a bad no case of i don't here. help develop rockets by the way <laughs> actually so i, I am kind of curious uh a, a lot of your work is based around startups and makers right yes uh why why did you choose to go that route um because it's the it's it's kind of what I was passionate about from my own hardware startup and that process of being an entrepreneur. So I felt like with my own startup, I, I learned all these lessons and things to make the process smoother. So I, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, I was sort of hooked in with that community and it's, it's what I enjoy doing. You know, I, I love engineering, but I also love entrepreneurship uh, just in general terms, so. So it's sort of a combination of two of my interests. So, awesome. Yeah, is that a good answer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was actually just thinking of how to go off that. Um, like, you know, just kind of. It's not real. It's kind of like giving back to where you started. Is that would be that right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, you know, I, I, I actually really enjoy helping people. So, um, and I like people that have big dreams. So I'm, I'm kind of drawn into that. I kind of consider myself to be a big dreamer, so I, I kind of like working with people that have a bigger vision for their life. So, can we? Uh, know, I, I forgot to ask, how long have you been doing it for? Um, I've been doing it uh, sort of for four years. Um, I, the first year I started off, I was just doing freelance design uh, through like Elance or Upwork. Uh, then, what? Then a, a year after that, I was doing. A, uh, my business was called Till Engineering, so I did that for one year, and then the past two years I've been Predictable Design. So, what's the so four um, years total? If if you can say something about it, what's the coolest thing you got to work on, or what you think yeah. was the coolest thing, even if it was yeah. like not a good thing or whatever, but <laughs> like what was the coolest thing you got to 
look at it's, it. it's really hard for me to answer that because i have to sign a non-disclosure with ah. everyone and and you know entrepreneurs inventors and stuff are obviously kind of uh secretive with their ideas so uh, i'm unfortunately i can't answer that well, well, I think you said earlier uh, you made a watch with a Zigbee and a 10 gigahertz processor and all this other stuff that ran on a coin cell battery, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that was a hypothetical. That wasn't <laughs> actually yeah, a real yeah. product. <laughs> <laughs> that might have won the, the Hackaday coin cell challenge. Oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it also cooks your toast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> But only really small toast. But. Yeah. Does it? Does the processor have a bagel pin? That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've not seen that feature yet. You know, I know another weird tangent. Okay. Great. So on that. <laughs> Let's go for it. We're okay, driving so, this train. So no, I was I was um I was looking through a lot of the entries into that Hackaday coin cell contest, and someone actually calculated you know how much jewels you get out of a coin cell. Like, if you could extract every electron out of there. And it is enough energy, at least, to, like, jumpstart a s- small car. Oh, if you can have it all at once. Well, yeah, you would you would, you would basically slowly trickle charge up some super caps and fire the engine. That was the idea. He didn't manage to get there. I can't remember what his efficiency was at the end, but it wasn't enough. And I was thinking you could do the same thing with the coin cell and cook toast. One huh, one, one cell per per toast. Oh yeah, that totally should work. Yeah, and then you can have I your bagel pin. Start a fire with the double A battery, but I've never tried it with the coin cell. So, uh, how, how exactly do you do that? What poke a screwdriver through it or something like that? No, if you uh, you can take like a like a the wrapper of a uh, piece of gum that's like aluminum foil, and you just short the two ends. You sort of make the wrapper narrow in the end in the middle. And then that will actually uh, ignite, and you can start a fire that way. Yeah, hey, that's neat. I'm kind of into survival techniques on how to start fires. So. You see, if you go, if you go, get your design made with predictable designs, then you get all this extra information, like how to start <laughs> fires with double A batteries. You ever? Uh, <laughs> you use the uh, double lot steel wool line volt battery trick? Oh yeah, that'll uh, light real fast. Yeah. No, what was that? So you get that really fine steel wool, and then you just hit it with a 9-volt battery, and it will immediately go up and oxidize, basically, very rapidly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, had, I did that accidentally once when I was, like, 12 in my room, and then, like, had to run this burning mound of metal, like, into the bathroom, <laughs> and the, ba- the sinks were plastic, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> That sounds really bad. Yeah, you, uh, <laughs> good buddy of mine was was tightening the uh, uh, the battery terminals on his car with a with a wrench, and he dropped the wrench and it hit both terminals and it welded the wrench to the battery. The whole wrench t- uh, turned red hot. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so actually, that kind of segues into common mistakes made by new hardware engineers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a good segue. There. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah, we got some. I guess some some questions. Are are these questions that uh, you were preparing this list? Are these questions that that you've seen before, John, or are these haven't seen before uh, at all? N- yeah, I've seen the question. I've okay. seen these questions. Cool. Well, then let's let's just walk through them real quick. Uh, so, underestimating the complexity and the time to develop a manufacturable pro- manufacturable product. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah, we've 
you know, I've kind of hit on some of the, the, you know, this topic and some of the other questions that, that we answered, but is just having, you know, once again, my job is to give you realistic expectations on that. It's it's going to take a long time. It's Would you complex. say that be predictable expectations? <laughs> Predict. Hey. Thank you. Thank you, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they keep me here. Yeah, yeah. Man, I should. That's the one reason. I wish I would have That's one reason. So just you know, helping them. You know, they it's just a, it's a common. If you've never done it before. It, you, I think people tend to always think something is simpler than it really is if they've not done it. Um, you know, I know when I went through this process with my own product, it was, you know, it was a, a lot harder than I really expected, or it took me a lot longer um, than I than I thought it would. And it, it's until you've gone through it, it's really difficult to to know what to expect. So that that's a a, a common you know mistake i guess that that i see is they they just don't they don't really know what to expect they think they can have a product on the market in a few months for a few thousand dollars so so what actually so like what actually prevents someone from basically saying i built one thing i want to build a thousand tomorrow besides you know uh, buying stuff <laughs> let's say like you yeah. buy all your stuff on mauser I would you know, there's several, you know, as you make more, you know, you make one of something and that one works, but then you make 10 of something and you realize only eight of the 10 work, you know, then you make a hundred of them and you only realize 60 out of the, you know, it's like no manufacturing process has a yield of 100%, um, you know, it's like any manufacturer has to deal with yield and, and slowly ramping, getting that yield, you know, into the nineties, uh, you know, as quickly as possible, but that's not going to be the case early on. And, and you don't really, you know, you can't gather the data for manufacturing yield from one prototype. Um, so you're just unknown problems are going to pop up kind of once you start expanding beyond just the one prototype. So what, uh, I was going to expand on that before. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, along with that also, like, do you help your customers go through those um, pilot reviews? Like, you, you've done that. Okay, so let's say we got 100 units built and 60 work. Do you help go through what the issues are with the 40? Uh, not really. I, I do through, through consulting. I, you know, offer some, you know, general advice or, you know, technical consulting if they, you know, want to share with me you know oscilloscope plots and you know their their data that they've collected then i i can help them but i I don't actually you know visit them or get in the lab or go to the production floor and do anything like that yeah i was going to ask like what kind of advice would you give someone who's designing their product to make sure that you know their yields will be well good I think we, not, we talked about lots of money earlier, right? That, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, what can you do? Like, if you bring a design to a manufacturer, what are some things to make sure you're not going to get half your product to be duds? Well, you know, I, I kind of mentioned uh, one of them, you know, is just the antenna layout is a common one. It's like, okay, you, that may, you, you know, you, you may get lucky on a few units and have it just magically tuned correctly. But once you start ramping up, you may realize, you know, that the, you know, the, the tuning that I had worked okay for a few units. But once I start ramping it up, that it, it's, it's not going to, uh, you know, I'm going to run into other problems. But yeah. there are like, 
you know, literally there's, you know, list out there of, you know, hundreds of things that you can do to, you know, try to make the product more, you know, more manufacturable. Yeah, I um, guess if you're in the antenna stuff, it's like, you know, tolerance of your parts have to align like the planets and stuff like that. If you're not too careful with your design there. Yeah, or you know, you may have something where you're on the 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 very edge of a you know of a maximum specification, and you know it's I don't know you're it's a five volt part with an absolute max of five volts, and you're running it at five point five volts or something. You know, you're probably not going to fail initially, but eventually, as you ramp up the volume, you're going to start seeing problems with that. Yeah, one one thing I've seen before is. Um, using basically like a microcontroller pin to drive a MOSFET and it worked great and when the MOSFET was on the when its gate capacitance was on the lower end of its spec but when it was on the higher end of its spec it didn't have the power to switch that MOSFET fast enough and basically blow MOSFETs up yeah and the, you know you, you kind of have to look at that stuff when you're when you're going from one to to doing a bunch is you kind of have to you know, look at the tolerance on things and make sure that you're not operating at some edge like that. Yeah, and just the difference in manufacturing um, uh, products, because like if you're if you build one on your bench, you probably hand soldered everything, so the components weren't you know, didn't experience hot reflow environments. Which yeah, you know, yeah, that's what people don't know is that when you reflow a part, it can degrade its performance. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing sees the heat, so it's not, not focused like when you're using a soldering iron. Yeah. Well, and at the same time, uh, each manufacturer has a, a a different process because they have different machines from all other manufacturers. You, you're rarely ever going to find two manufacturers who have the exact same setup on their floors. So this one might have this one machine that takes this requirement, and that other manufacturer has a different requirement, and your design might need to shift slightly in order to accommodate that. Or you might need to purchase some kind of jig or something to accommodate whatever that machine is. So, uh, so there's a little bit above and beyond the one piece, you know, that you built on your kitchen table all the way towards manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you're going to transition from one manufacturer to another, there's there's going to be a lot of little things like that pop up that, you know, they're, they're just their process, like you said, is different. Right. Yeah, so we usually ask this question for all our guests is, um, what is the worst electrical shock you've ever experienced? The train just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have two. Uh, one, I don't really recall because I was young. I've just always heard about it. Like, I don't know, I was like three or four and stuck a knife in an electrical outlet, nice. um, which my, my brother loves to too. tell that story because my hair stood up and... You know, my mom didn't think it was that funny, but my brother thought thinks it's hilarious. So that's kind of my first one. Uh, <laughs> then my second one was uh, I had um, shortly after finishing my finishing my bachelor's, I worked in an automation control systems in a, a manufacturing facility, and I was in a control panel, and somehow I accidentally touched. I believe it was around 500 volts DC, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and I didn't even know I had been shocked. I thought for sure someone had come up from behind me and just kind of, you know, like, I don't know, like tried to scare me. So I just immediately <laughs> turn around and I'm looking, to, and there's no one there. And I'm, and you know, then I'm thankful that no one else saw me get electrocuted. Are you sure it wasn't the ghost? Yeah. <laughs> hey, at yeah. least you weren't on the floor. 
<laughs> no, I was like on the floor, but luckily oh. <laughs> no one was around. It was that that line was shut down, so no one was around. But so I, I was quite glad no one saw that because I would have been probably harassed about that for a while. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I think we've talked about this a bunch, but DC seems to hurt a lot more than AC. That's that's my experience. Uh, that's oh, the only yeah. time I've ever been hit by DC that was enough to to hurt. But it, it I've been electrocuted by one ten, you know, a whole bunch of times. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, the 500 DC was uh, was kind of a different experience for me. Yeah, I haven't been hit by that high with DC, but 50 volt DC is not pleasant. No. Yeah. Like 110 AC is kind of, it tingles. Yeah, yeah, it just jiggles a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could have been 300 volts. I don't know. It was hundreds of volts. It was a long time ago. Enough to hurt. It, it, was, it was enough to scare me and, uh, yeah, and hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was funny. I was actually uh, uh, doing some grocery shopping earlier today. And uh, the cart that I had, uh, the rubber wheels were just cut, causing the cart to uh, to build a ton of static, and it kept shocking me. And it, and it was like not like small shocks where I was like, oh, it was the kind of where like you'd throw your hands off the cart. And I I was getting hit by it so many times, and I looked up, and there was actually a bunch of people looking at me because I was like <laughs> freaking out on my shopping cart. Yeah, I, I had to, to walk say, around. I, wish the I could have seen that. So I've had that happen to me before. And it's like, it's like you should just like turn around and put the card away and get a new one. I'm like, no. So I just grab the handle as tight as I can. So just so it, the buildup was shorter, and so it, it, the shock was less. <laughs> well, so, so what I actually I found a, a part of exposed metal on the cart. And it was in an awkward spot, so I I just held that the entire time, and I was walking around with like really contorted, <laughs> moving the shopping cart. I must have looked stupid as hell, but it didn't it stop shocking me. And, you know, and the cart is still dumping that energy into you. Well, yeah, yeah, no. So eventually, I guess you just go hit I don't know something that's grounded every once in a while, give it a slap. <laughs> it was. Comical. I wonder if I uh, wonder if anyone got video of that. Or... I would. Yeah, I'm gonna show up on YouTube coming up here, soon, just, uh, looking like an idiot in the store. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be trending right next to the SpaceX uh, rocket launch. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, John, where can people find more about you? Uh, they can find more about me on PredictableDesigns.com, and then uh, Twitter is John Teal EE. Cool. So, thank you, John, for being on the MEP. Oh, uh, excellent! Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And you want to sign this out? Absolutely. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, John Teal. And we were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea or project or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at Macrofab or email us at podcast at macrofed.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to that podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen. Whoa, that changed. Podcast Addict or iTunes. <laughs> it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. Macrofed is also hiring, apparently. Still. 